we will go ahead and get started. Um, so this is a new lesson. We finished our little series on dealing with sins last week. And so today we're going to talk about rightly dividing the last days. Um, and our uh, key verse is 2 Timothy 3.1, which we'll be talking about tonight, where Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And so rightly dividing, we talked about rightly dividing how not all the Bible is about us today, right? It's like a history book. Things that happened in the past that weren't applicable to us today because God is no longer doing that. For instance, an uh, easy example is Noah building the ark, right? We're not building an ark today because God isn't about to flood the world, right? That was to Noah in his day and age, not for us today. Um, so you have this all throughout the Bible. There are things that were given to the nation of Israel that aren't for us today in this age of grace. Um, so when you deal with the last days, you have to rightly divide right, what is the, the scripture talking about, understanding who said it, why they said it, and what context it was set in. Uh, but the first question we need to ask is the last days of what? Um, there can be last days of many things. We think about it in our culture today, last days of a month, last days of year, last day of a season, right? You think about the last days of fall are coming up here in the next month or so, and then it'll be winter, then you'll have the last days of winter. Um, people talk about it with their job, right? When they're about to retire, right? These are my last days at this job, right? It doesn't mean the last days of their life, um, which is also another thing people talk about, the last days of someone's life, right? They're in their last days. Um, so when you see the phrase last days in scripture, it's not always referring to what many people think about as far as right, the last days of when Christ comes to set up his kingdom. Um, that is often what it's referring to, but not always the case. For instance, in Scripture, you see the last days of certain feasts that Israel had. Um, if you go to Leviticus twenty-three thirty-six, it says, Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be an holy convocation unto you, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall do no servile work therein. So they had this feast uh, that was supposed to last eight days. And so they had this last days of a feast uh, in their uh, religion. If you go to Nehemiah 8.18, see an example of this. Talking about the last days of certain feasts that they would have every year. Uh, it says, Also day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. So you see from the first day unto the last day, uh, they kept the feast, and he read the book of the law uh, those eight days. Uh, Jesus also does this in John 7. Verse 37 through 38, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So it says, in the last day was the last day of that feast, right? The great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. Uh, so when you're reading the last days, you need to read it again in its context. Don't just take that phrase, last days, and assume it's talking about, right, end times. Um, however, in prophecy, you do have... A lot of scripture that deal with the end times and with the last days of this earth as we know it before Christ comes to set up his kingdom. Uh, Isaiah 2.2, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains 
and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. So that's a prophecy of in the last days when Christ sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem, right? And the nations go unto uh, the kingdom there in Jerusalem. Uh, same thing in Micah 4.1 is prophesying of the last days when Christ comes to set up his kingdom. So I want to deal with those last days, uh, the end times. Uh, prophecy deals with the earth and Christ's kingdom come to it. And what will take place when he comes to judge and establish his kingdom here on earth. Uh, so we read Isaiah 2.2, 2, uh, Michael 4.1, very similar. It says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. So they're talking about the last days when he sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. If you look at Joel 2, verse 28 through 32. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So there in the last days he had the spirit being poured out. And then you have these signs and wonders that are show up in the skies, right? Talking about the sun being darkened and the moon turned to blood. Uh, so you have these signs that will happen before that great and terrible day of the Lord when he comes in judgment to judge the nation. Uh, if you go to Daniel 8, verse 23, it says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true, wherefore shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. So this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ coming, again, to judge the nations, uh, where it talks about the dark sentences as uh, Jesus fulfilled that in his parables, right? His parables were so that they could not understand, right? That's why he had to explain them to his disciples. Um, so Jesus had to come before the last days could happen, right? Because he's the one that's going to judge in those last days. Um, so Jesus was a sign of something that had to happen before the last days could happen, right? He had to come in the flesh. Um, so the last days are prophesied all throughout uh, the prophets in the Old Testament. Peter, John, and the author of Hebrews all said that they were in the last days. So if you go to Acts 2.16, we read Joel 2.28 where it talked about in the last days the Spirit being poured out and there being signs in the heavens. In Acts 2 verse 16, Peter says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
It says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my headmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in, in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you know Acts 2 is Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out, right? And so the people that received the Spirit were speaking in tongues. And people that saw them said, well, these men are drunk, right? That's why they're speaking in these different languages. And Peter says, no, this is not the case. These men are filled with the Spirit. And he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So what happened at Acts 2 was a fulfilling of Joel, right? And so Peter's saying, we're in these last days, right? Christ has already come now. He's pouring out his spirit. The next thing to happen is that great and terrible day of the Lord, judgment. Right? So that's what Peter is expecting, and he says, this is that. Right? We are in these days. Right, if you look at Hebrews 1, 2. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he have appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So he says, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. Right? Speaking of Jesus Christ on earth. Uh, so the author of Hebrews says that he was in the last days. Uh, same for First John 2.18. John says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So John says, it is the last time. Right? And again, you see where he talks about it's the last time because of the Antichrist. Well, for you to have Antichrist, Christ has to have first come. Right? So you can see the connection there. Before you can have the end times, again, Christ had to come first. Right? And then you have Antichrist. Because Christ has already come, so they have people that are against Christ. Right? And so John says this is how we know we're in the last times because of all these people that are anti-Christ, against Christ. Um, so Jesus came in the last days of prophecy. Okay? First uh, Peter 1, 19 through 21. Peter says this. He says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. So he says Christ, who was foreordained before the foundation of the world, was manifest or made known in these last times for us. So there Peter says he came in these last times. So they're verifying that Christ came in the last days of prophecy. Uh, 1 John 4, 3, he says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So those who would not confess that Jesus was the Christ, John says, they're Antichrist, right? Because they will not believe and trust that Jesus was the Christ. Um, it's also interesting that Peter, he spoke of the last time as future, but also present. In 1 Peter 1, 
verse 5, he says, We who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So again, talk about rightly dividing. Peter is writing to Jews. Okay, and again, they expect their salvation to come when Christ brings the kingdom. So that's what he says here. Um, by faith unto salvation that's ready to be revealed. Right? They do not yet possess their salvation. It comes when the kingdom comes. And he says that will be revealed in the last time. Right? So their salvation, their kingdom comes in the last time. So yeah, it's still future for Peter. But we just read first, uh, verse 20 of 1 Peter where he says, Christ was made manifest in these last times. So what Peter and them are dealing with is they're in those last times of prophecy, right? Everything had happened except for the kingdom come, right? So those are in their last days. It just hadn't all yet been fulfilled yet. Does that make sense? So they were expecting Christ to come at any minute, right? Because everything had happened, they were in those last days. Um, but what happened was not only did Christ come in the last days of prophecy, but the mystery was revealed in those last days of prophecy, which put Christ's return in judgment on hold. Right, this is what the dispensation of grace is. Um, in Acts 7.56, this is Stephen. He says, when he was being stoned of the Jewish leaders, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And so that phrase, standing on the right hand of God, is important. Because at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Christ ascended into heaven... They said he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Well, here Stephen says he's standing at the right hand of the Father. And again, when you put this in connection with things written in the Old Testament, whenever Jesus is standing, it's always a reference to judgment that's about to happen. Right? Jesus stands to judge. And so what Stephen is essentially saying there is Christ is about to come back and judge y'all. That's what he's saying to those Jewish leaders, which is why they... Uh, were angry with them, gnashing with their teeth. But in Psalms 110.1, it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So he only sits until the enemies will be made his footstool. Uh, then he will stand to judge. If you look at Isaiah 3.13, Says the Lord standeth up to plead and standeth to judge the people. So there it clearly says he stands to judge the people. Uh, in James 5 9. James says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. So the judge stands before the door. So when he says Stephen sees Christ standing at the right hand of God, he's essentially saying Christ is about to come back and judge y'all for y'all's sins and y'all's rejection of him as Christ. So when you get to Acts in those early periods, everything in prophecy had happened for Christ to come back. Right? Had Israel repented and accepted Christ as their Messiah, he would have come back and set up the kingdom. But since they rejected it, it was totally fine. Everything had happened for God to come back and judge them, right, and set up his kingdom at that time. But instead of coming back in judgment, in Acts 9, he saves the apostle Paul and reveals to him, right, this dispensation of grace, the revelation of the mystery. Uh, you read about that in Acts 9. We won't read it for time's sake. Uh, Ephesians 3, 1, if you go there, 
We'll read a few verses where Paul talks about this. Uh, he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. All right, so Paul says this dispensation of grace was given to me, to give to you, to the Gentiles, right? He says, when you read, you can understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Uh, the fact that people could be saved by grace through faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection alone was not known until it was revealed to Paul, right? You have to have the death and resurrection happen before that can be preached. So it couldn't happen until after Christ had come, died, and rose again. Uh, so that's what put that judgment on hold was this dispensation of grace. Okay, so that's why the judgment did not happen at that time in Acts. Um, because Jesus talks about a tribulation and judgment that happens in those last days. Uh, so we talked, uh, read Daniel 8, 23 and 26. If you look at Mark 13. Verse 17 through 20. He says, But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, and pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as not, was not from the beginning of creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom ye have chosen, he has shortened the days. So it's going to be a day, he says, of judgment and tribulation that has never been seen before. So it's funny, oftentimes you hear people say, we're in the last days today. Well, no, because we're not in a tribulation that has never been seen before. Right? You can go back through history and find periods of time that are just as bad, if not worse, than what we're living in today. Right? So this can't be that great tribulation or the last days because it's not worse than anything we've seen in history. Right? Jesus says, in the last days, that final seven-year tribulation is going to be worse than anything we've ever seen. Uh, so we are not living in those last days uh, that was prophesied. Um, that is a time when Jesus will pour out his wrath and judgment. If you continue reading in Mark 13, down at verse 26, he says, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Right? After this tribulation, Christ is going to appear in clouds with great power and glory. Everyone will see it. It's not going to be some secret thing when Christ comes back and judges the nations. Everyone will see it. Um, again, this is prophesied in the Old Testament. If you go to Zephaniah 1, verse 14 through 18, it says, The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and luminous, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. 
So it's talking about that day of wrath, right? Where Christ will pour out his judgment upon the wicked. Um, Joel 3, verse 1 and 2. says, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So there where it talks about he will plead with them, it's talking about the judgment that he will give. In Isaiah 66, 15 through 16, we see this. It says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. So here it talks about when he pleads with them, it's talking about his judgment, right? And there will be many slain of the wicked. So those last days has to do with a tribulation and a judgment. Right, and the wrath of God being poured out. And there will be signs in the heavens. Um, again, this is nothing that we are living in today. Right? We're living in this dispensation of grace. Um, and Paul says we aren't appointed to this day. Okay, maybe you've heard about the rapture. The rapture takes place before the tribulation. Okay, those who are saved in this dispensation of grace and are members of the body of Christ will be raptured up to heaven before this even takes place. Okay, we will not see this judgment. Um, again, Romans 5, 9, Paul, who was given the dispensation of grace, talks about this. In Romans 5, 9, he says, Much more than, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So we will be saved from that day of wrath through Christ. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So we have been delivered from the wrath to come. Okay, we will not experience the wrath of God if you have been saved. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 1 through 9. He says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says here, of those times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. And the reason he says that is because we will not be there. Right? He finishes there in verse 9 where he says, we're appointed to salvation, right? not to that day of wrath. Uh, so we will not be here uh, when Christ comes to judge. Uh, we have a hope of being gathered to Christ before this day. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. You go to 1 Corinthians 15, where he talks about our resurrection. When Christ appears in the clouds, uh, verse 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you go to Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Paul says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we are looking for a day of salvation, right? A day when our body will be changed, right? We're not looking for a day of judgment. We're not looking for signs in the heavens. We're not looking for a great tribulation, right? Because we will not experience that. Paul says we will be raptured to heaven. We will meet him in the clouds, um, which is totally different than what the prophets prophesy about, right? It's different than what uh, Jesus speaks about in Matthew 24, which we'll deal with here in a minute. Uh, many people, though, use 2 Timothy 3.1, where Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. People will take that verse and say Paul is saying the same thing as Jesus and the prophets, because he says the last days, right? In the last days perilous times shall come. Shall is future tense. So Paul is prophesying here is what they'll say. Um, but this insinuates that perilous times have not already happened. right? If Paul says in the last time... Uh, in the last days, perilous times shall come. The people that say this is a prophecy are saying Paul had not experienced perilous times. Right? That's not true. Um, if you go to First Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians eleven, Paul gives a list of persecutions that he had experienced. In verse twenty-three, he says, "Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more." And labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwrecked, a night and a day have I been in the deep. And journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. So there, verse 26, he gives a whole list of perils that he has experienced. So I don't think Paul is saying perilous times will come. We've yet to see them, right? Um, because, again, Paul had experienced many perils in his life. Uh, people say Paul and Jesus were saying the same thing because Jesus speaks of perilous times in Matthew 24. So if you go to Matthew 24, again, you'll see that Jesus and Paul weren't saying the same thing. Matthew 24, verse 4 through 6. Um, in verse 3, it says, As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed of that, take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
So again, a lot of people talk about we're in the last days because you hear about wars and rumors of war. Where here, Jesus even says the end is not yet. So wars and rumors of war does not mean the end is near. He says the end is not yet. Uh, verse 7, he says, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So again, people talk about earthquakes and things like that. They say it means we're in the last days. Well, he says these are just the beginning of sorrows. Uh, it's not the end, it's the beginning. Uh, verse 9, he says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So Jesus says you have to endure through this tribulation if you're going to be saved, which is totally different than what Paul preaches, faith in Christ's death and resurrection for salvation, right? because it's speaking of a different time to different people. Uh, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So again, the gospel they're preaching is that gospel of the kingdom that was prophesied, which is for the nation of Israel. It's not for us. Right? Our salvation, our gospel, is Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, so you have a different gospel here that will be preached in those last days, okay? not the gospel of grace. Uh, in verse 21, he says, For then shall be great tribulations, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So again, you have that great tribulation, such as we have never seen, which is not happening today. Um, if you go down to verse 29 through 31, and then he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So then you have the signs again in the heavens and the appearing of the Son of Man, of Jesus Christ, uh, to execute judgment. So again, that's totally different than Paul just saying, in the last days there will be perilous times. Right? It's totally different. Um, it's not the same. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3.1, is not giving a sign of what shall come, but sins that shall be. So if you go back to 2 Timothy 3... You have to read it in its context. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul is simply saying the world's going to be wicked, basically, uh, because we live in a present evil world. Um, in 2 Timothy 3, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-bakers, false accusers, Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So basically, general sins, right, is what he describes there. Uh, general sins are not a sign of anything but the fact that there are reprobates in a present evil world. Okay, that's all Paul is saying. Um, he's not saying that perilous times is the start of the last days, but rather perilous times is a continuation of something, right? It's a continuation of wicked people in a present evil world. 
um, because verse 2 through 4, those sins, you can compare them to Romans 1, 25 through 32, where he gives a list of sins that are very similar, and those sins are something that happened in the past. So 2 Timothy 3, people say it's future, but you can find it happening in the past, right? Which is different than the tribulation, which is going to be such as we've never seen. You won't find it in the past. Uh, if you look at verse 5 in 2 Timothy 3, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from search, turn away. Well, if you're turning away from these people, that means they already exist. So it's not future, it's something that's already here. And then verse 6 through 8, he says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jonas and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. So notice he says, so do these also. That means it's something that is already happening, right? These people are doing it also. So all Paul is saying is, it's not, perilous times aren't the start of something, it's rather a continuation. Uh, so again, you have to put it in its context. Uh, why is Paul saying this? Well, you got to understand the whole context of 2 Timothy 3. Okay, he's already wrote two chapters up to this point. Uh, that's why he says in verse 3, verse 1, this know also. You have to know this also in comparison to what I've already told you in the first two chapters. Um, 2 Timothy is Paul's last epistle before he dies. Um, he is in prison, and he knows he is going to die in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So he knows he's getting ready to die. Right, that's why he says that. My departure is at hand. I've kept the faith. Right, I've fought a good fight. So Paul knows he's about to die. That's why he's writing Timothy to encourage and exhort him to not be ashamed of the testimony and to be a faithful servant. Because that's what 2 Timothy is about. He's encouraging Timothy to continue on in the doctrine. Right? He's basically handing the baton off to Timothy to continue what he had started. Right? Timothy is going to be the minister of the doctrine of grace, basically. Um, so he's encouraging him to be faithful, to be strong in grace, and to be prepared for the work at hand. And so that's what he deals with in the first two chapters. In chapter 3, he deals with being made perfect by the doctrine and the word of God. Um, so just because you are prepared does not mean perils won't come, is what he's telling Timothy. Right? And so he's telling him, know this also, that perilous times are still going to come. Right? You're going to be put to the test just because you're prepared. Just because you have the doctrine and the word doesn't mean it's going to be easy going, basically. Right? He says in the last days, perilous times will come because men are wicked. Right? That's what he's saying. Um, he's instructing Timothy to continue in the work and the doctrine. If you look at verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3, he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, longsuffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So he's telling him to continue. There's going to be persecutions, but you have to continue. Uh, and then verse 14, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Right, so he's encouraging him to continue. Perilous times are going to come, but you have to continue in the word and in the doctrine. Um, so in verse 1, where he says, Perilous times shall come, in verse 13, he says, because men shall wax worse and worse. In verse 13, he says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
um, the reason men wax worse and worse is because they were already wicked men, right? And they're going to get worse and worse is what he's saying. Uh, so again, in the context, just because God has revealed grace, he's revealed salvation by grace through faith in Christ, does not mean that all of a sudden the world's going to be a better place. Right? It doesn't mean that everyone's going to believe it right? and follow the word of God. So that's what Paul is encouraging him. You're going to have perilous times because men are wicked, which is what he says. In the last days, there will be perilous times because men are wicked, is what he's saying. Um, so he's not saying in the last days there are going to be perilous times and that's going to start the last days, which is what many people interpret there. Okay, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's simply saying in those last days, yes, there's going to be wicked people because it's a continuation of what exists now. Right? And he's encouraging Timothy to endure through that. Does that make sense? So hopefully that kind of clears up some of that. Again, a lot of people will mix 2 Timothy 3 with Matthew 24 and say it's all the same when it's not. And when you compare it, you can see uh, that it's not the same. Uh, so hopefully that was of some help on that passage. But any thoughts or questions on this?